Holiday House Books for Young People presents Stephen Savage, author of And Then Came Hope, in conversation with Sunita Baldi from Project Hope. Hello, my name is Keith Strunk, and this week the guest book welcomes Stephen Savage and Sunita Baldi. Stephen Savage is a New York Times best-selling children's book illustrator and author whose accolades include a New York Times Best Illustrated Book for Polar Bear Night, a Geisel Honor for Super Truck, and a Sendak Fellowship. He also wrote and illustrated Babysitter from Another Planet for Holiday House, which was selected as a Children's Choice Book Award finalist. In addition to books, Stephen has illustrated for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Time, Newsweek, and Entertainment Weekly. He's taught illustration at the School of Visual Arts since 2001 and lives in Brooklyn with his wife, daughter, and two dogs. His newest picture book, And Then Came Hope, is out now. Joining Stephen today is Sunita Baldi. Sunita is the Vice President and Chief Development and Communications Officer at Project Hope, an organization that provides medical care and training to countries hit hard by disease, conflicts, and natural disasters. She's responsible for all communications and fundraising channels and programs for the organization. Sunita has twin second graders who, I'm told, love Stephen's new book. Sunita and Stephen, welcome to the guest book. Hello. Hi. Thanks, Keith. So, Sunita, I'm going to hand it over to you because I think we're going to have a conversation between the two of you right now, and I think it's best to let you kick that off. Great. Thank you, Keith. Welcome, Stephen. Uh, I have my, my signed copy here. My daughters are excited. I was wondering if you could describe the book for us a little bit. Sure. Well, the cover of the book has, if you look closely, it has a white shining hospital ship and her name has, you'll see the letters H-O-P-E on the side. Her name is Hope. And above that is the name of the book and then came Hope. And then we have this, uh, we've got this glorious sunrise or sunset, these orange sun rays behind her. And then uh, as you make your way into the book, you notice that it's the story of a bunch of ships who aren't feeling very well. And in great, uh, in the great tradition of books like um, The Little Engine That Could, they have faces. So I think my favorite is there's an aircraft carrier in here and he's got aviator glasses on because he's an aircraft carrier or she's an aircraft carrier. And aircraft carriers, of course, launch airplanes, so they need their aviator glasses. So this is kind of a, you know, this is something you'll see in children's books. It's it's a, something that makes the characters approachable and friendly for the kids who are reading them. And this, we're, we're talking about, for this book, toddlers, really. Great. Stephen, I know from talking to you that this topic has been a very personal one for you. Can you tell us a little bit about why you felt like this was the right time to write a picture book about the topic of hope and how you got the idea and got connected to us at Project Hope? Sure. Well, we can trace trace this book back to uh, March 30th, 2020. I was in lockdown here in Brooklyn, New York. We were all in lockdown, of course, the whole country and the whole world. And I saw the pictures on the news and on my phone of the USNS Comfort, the hospital ship that was steaming into New York Harbor just across the river from where I am now. And uh, a light bulb went off in my head. I thought, hmm, hospital ship, hero hospital ship. And I had done other uh, books that had 
kind of vehicle heroes. I had a, I have a snowplow book out about a hero snowplow and a tugboat. And I thought, you know, as a children's book author, we're always looking for the hero story. And the hero of the moment was the doctor or the nurse or the healthcare worker, the paramedic. And when I saw the hospital ship, I thought, there's that healthcare worker that a kid will glom onto and understand and fall in love with. So that's how, that was how it got started. And um, I started doing a little bit of research and I, I, I sad to admit, I wasn't familiar with the ship. I discovered the ship when I was doing my research and I saw those huge letters on the side of the ship, H-O-P-E, thought that was amazing, thought that was very inspirational. In fact, when I saw those old photographs, those archival photographs, I thought, this is the book. And between the time that I found the pictures of the ship and that I got an okay from my editor, Neil Porter, two weeks, and I was off to the races. That's how the book and the uh, sort of got started. Does that answer your question? It does. <laughs> and I do. I remember months ago, I was digging into the archives and doing quite a bit of research on Project Open the Ship. And I, I mean, I even learned a lot that I hadn't known uh, with the 62-year heritage, there's there's a lot to, to still learn there. Yeah, I, I also, I really enjoyed uh, doing some of that research too. And I was doing it some recently because I knew that I was going to be talking about the book. And one of my favorite little things that I turned up was that the actress Julia Louis-Dreyfus was a passenger on the ship yes. uh, as a child. And um, I said, oh, I got to... I got to tweet that out. And my wife said, well, just make sure you fact check that first. Cause you don't want to get Julia Louis Dreyfus all bent out of shape. <laughs> so no. And as it turns out, her stepfather was on the ship and she traveled to three or four countries on site. So it's, yeah, it's this, uh, has this amazing history and all the photographs that had the really beautiful photographs of all these diff- exotic ports of call. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that was, that was fun doing all the research and, thinking through how how far we've advanced as an organization. I mean, our mission's still the same, but there's so much history and heritage there um, that it was really fascinating through this through the research. Yeah, and I, I'm just so, I mean, I, I started working on the book and, you know, I spent four or five months illustrating it and then just have, I, I feel like I have all these questions for you about this organization that has been, you know, swirling around me as I worked on the book and worked on these, these, um, these pictures. But now that you've seen the book, I'm just curious, like, what is, what does Project Hope do with this book? I mean, how do you, how do you share it with your network? Or I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, a, I'm a little worried. I, I, I hope, I hope it'll serve you well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've already got you signed up for a donor speaking engagement and yeah, um, a little bit more than you expected. Okay. I, it, that um, there are a lot of people that have it in their background now. I've seen three different people today on conference calls um, with their background, but we love the opportunity just to, you know, I think anything to to tell our story, the work that we're doing um, is so it's life-saving, right? We're saving lives around the world for communities and countries where they don't have strong health systems that we take for granted in the U S and we so often are trying to get awareness um, for the work that we're doing to, to really garner the support. And having a project like this, having your support and your book, 
um, helps us do that. It helps us raise awareness around the work that we're doing and hopefully will garner some additional attention for us while, while supporting you in the process. Well, I'm, I'm just, I've told you this. I'm so honored that you're on board to use a bad pen, a bad pun <laughs> with this book. I'm curious though. So there was the ship. So that's how Project Hope started. And then how did it go from being a ship-based medical organization to what it is now, which is there's no ship any longer. The right. ship is retired. So now it's a land-based organization. So how, how did that happen? So interestingly, the ship was actually decommissioned in 1974. Um, and we've got pieces of the ship that, in, you know, in, in our headquarters office, we have the bell on the ship. Uh, we have pieces of the railing from the SS Hope. Um, but the work never stopped. I mean, we started out really on a peacetime mission to Indonesia. That was our first mission. We still work in Indonesia today. And the, the mission is still the same, which is really empowering healthcare workers and building sustainable solutions and capacity building in countries that have marginalized health systems. So places like Indonesia, Africa, Dominican Republic, just to name a few, Colombia, Venezuela. And we do things from bringing in uh, medical supplies, you know, vaccines, medical supplies, PPE, to training health workers so that when we leave, they actually have the skills and they can continue to to capacity build and train additional health workers in the community, um, to working with mothers and newborns. Uh, one of the conversations we had around, you know, we take for granted in the U.S. our children's vaccinations and their health care the first five years of life. It's kind of standard, and it doesn't exist in a lot of countries overseas. And so we come in and we try to empower local health systems so that they can make sure that their babies and children are, get a healthy start at life. And we do emergency response, which is, you know, you can't predict, you can't plan for it. It's a big part of our programming, whether it's a, a hurricane or an earthquake. Um, and we're definitely seeing an increase in natural disasters, unfortunately, because of climate change. Um, and that's impacting our health systems as well. So so I'm just curious, what's your what's the number one emergency right now other than, or is it COVID-19 or is it something else? It's COVID. It's COVID. It's yeah. 100% COVID. We just started this week um, responding to India. The situation in India is pretty dire. The country, unfortunately, let their guard down uh, when they were in a, in a pretty controlled environment. And it has, you know, they have less vaccines than we are in this country. I think we're at 40% right now. I think they're in the teens of vaccinated. Um, and there's variants, there's mutations and variants. So they're in, they've, they've put a call out to the U.S. and to the U.K. Um, and so we started to respond. We're also keeping an eye on neighboring countries like Nepal. But it's, it's a big part of our work right now. And you, you, you were telling me earlier, so you've, and you've done, you've been on these medical missions before you, right? You've traveled to different countries. I'm, um, I'm curious. Yeah. So I, I, I typically go from a communications and development standpoint um, to places that we work. So really it's about meeting the people whose, whose lives were changing and, and saving 
um, and getting the stories and interviewing them um, and bringing content back so that we can tell the story in the U.S. and we can tell the story to our donors and funders. Since I've been at Project Hope, I've traveled internationally. I tried to travel once a quarter until the pandemic, (laughs) so I'm grounded now. Um, But I I have been to Indonesia. I went at their one-year anniversary of their 2018 tsunami and earthquake and talked to some of the survivors there to do a report back one year later. It's, it's challenging. Uh, One of the things I think about what we're all going through right now with COVID is the trauma aspect and how we will all, you know, deal with this a year from now, or, or if there's another epidemic or a bad flu, it's a big part of the work that we do is around mental health. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I wonder too, if that is kind of a part of the message of the book, you know, it's about, reassuring kids and reassuring parents and there's all this stuff that happens when someone gets sick or when a community isn't feeling well and you know you and I were talking earlier you know how are kids absorbing all this I mean you have two kids and I have a 12 year old and you know I was thinking you know the adults are freaking out Mm -hmm. you know but you don't really know where the kids are at with this stuff and I'm I'm always like Chloe my 12 year old I mean, she doesn't know any different. She, this is her first pandemic and she's only 12 years old. My, I'm in my fifties and this is my first pandemic. So of course I'm freaking out. And of course this isn't normal, but this is, she's having to normalize this in some way and say, Oh, this is okay. And, but it's, it's scary at the same time. It's not okay. And the book I, I suppose is supposed to be, and maybe I wouldn't have created the book before the pandemic because we sort of took healthcare for granted and there wasn't an emergency going on. But then all of a sudden this emergency happened and I thought, oh, I need to do a book which addresses medical concerns and all the scary things that happen and provide reassurance. And so it's interesting. I, it, it, wasn't kind of, it wasn't part of the conversation, say, a couple of years ago. I think if I had showed this to an editor, they would have said, oh, well, that's interesting, but you know, I'm not sure that's part of the conversation. And right. now- definitely is so sure I mean it's a great tool too because none of us to your point were prepared we haven't been through this we weren't trained for this there weren't a lot of books or resources out there for parents or or teachers caregivers and the thing I, I really enjoyed reading this with my daughters who are now fluent readers. <laughs> um, so they did more of the reading than I did. But, you know, we've had conversations around what does COVID mean? And am I going to be safe? Are you going to be safe? Are their grandparents going to be safe? And I think having a book like this to talk through kind of, you know, what happens, like you, you'll still be okay. But I think the, the big thing for me was kind of the aspirational of hope that we're all looking, all of us are looking for that light at the end of the tunnel and we're all looking for hope right now. We were kind of hanging our hats on it. Um, yeah. And so it was just such a powerful message for my daughters. And, and you know, I think depending on the age that, that are reading it, there's still a powerful message. As an adult, just the cover itself is such a powerful message. Yeah, that, and that word, I mean, when I first saw those pictures and I saw the word on the side of a ship, I thought, oh my gosh, that, and you know, when I went down, I jumped on my bike and I went down to the docks, you know, at 50th Street and saw the comfort. And the thing that struck me was these giant red crosses that are like 
three or four stories high. And I just thought we're, you know, in crisis here in New York. And then all of a sudden there's this ship with this, you know, and just the symbolic power of that ship. And then I turn to my right and then there are people that with their, with their phones snapping pictures of the ship, like it's a celebrity, you know, on the, on the red carpet, like, you know, this is, I got to get it. Wow. Look at that. It's a real, it's a, it's a celebrity. It was sort of the response. And, you know, that started me thinking about the book was the symbolic power of the ship. And, you know, you, you see the cover and you see those, the red crosses and the, you know, the beautiful design of the ship. And yeah. And it, and you, and you need that sort of aesthetic. Um, I mean, first of all, the word hope is an amazing piece of language, beautiful aesthetic piece of language. And then, you know, the other things about the ship give us some, some, some lift, you know, by, by seeing, by reading the words and seeing the pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that, you know, and that was that we were t- also talking about research and, you know, my main goal as the artist was to create a really beautiful, reassuring, uh, sweet, kind, calm world to set the story in. So making sure that there was beautiful water, uh, light bouncing off the water and puffy clouds and creating a, you know, in a children's book, you want to create a setting that is that you want to be in and that's inspiring in some way. So. Right. And I think, you know, you just said something that popped to my mind, but when you're talking about people coming up to the ship and taking photos as if it's a celebrity I mean, at what time in our history have health workers been, you know, treated as superheroes, really? I mean, this is the relevance of it in this moment in time of celebrating our health workers who have been working tirelessly for over a year now. Um, there's just that celebration there for, for them as well in this, in this book, I think. Totally. Yes. Yeah. I want to say as a person who has been living with a mom taking care of kids, taking care of a kid in the middle of a pandemic, that, you know, moms during the pandemic and moms in general are are also really the heroes of the story. We were discussing this earlier. You know, when kids get sick, it's the mom who makes the kid get better. <laughs> there are some dads, you know, but... Um, when I look at the cover of the book, I think of that as a healthcare worker, but I also think of that as maybe a mom too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're both a healthcare worker and you're a mom during the pandemic. I mean, what's that, what's that been like? Uh, first of all, I've had an amazing <laughs> husband, <laughs> a great partnership there, but it, it's, it's been hard. I mean, it was definitely hard last year because as you and I talked earlier, mothers carry the emotional labor of, what could happen. You know, we were talking about how we're kind of hardwired to have these spidey mom senses. And though there may be a stay-at-home dad and the roles are reversed as they are in my case, I'm still the one that's constantly thinking about, do I need to get this child to, to the doctors or the dentist or, you know, mental health aspects? Um, and so you carry a certain level of emotional labor. You, you don't, it doesn't shut off. You never stop. And you're hearing the stories of how greatly women have been impacted during this past year, during the pandemic from, you know, now bringing home less money than they ever have because maybe they had to quit their job for a year to 
you know, carrying that emotional labor of worrying about your children every single day because you're afraid that they're missing out or you're afraid that they might get exposed to COVID or maybe they got COVID. So it's been challenging. And I think it's kind of timely. Mother's Day is coming up this weekend and we should be celebrating moms right now. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that. My wife is actually away on business this week. Um, as I'm launching this book, she she had a business trip that fell at the same time. So I'm actually getting a taste of her life because I'm here <laughs> with a busy <laughs> with a busy book schedule and also making sure that our daughter is getting picked up and that she's getting, uh, you know, the, the meal stuff is, I can do that. That's easy, but (laughs) (laughs) I can throw a pizza in the oven, but making sure that she has, so she came home the other day and she was upset because she'd had a thing with some other girls in her grade and they met afterwards at the pizza place and she didn't say anything to me. And then the next thing I know that she's on the phone with my wife talking to her about what happened. And then I get a text from my wife and she says, is Chloe okay? <laughs> and then I thought, oh, I'll bet. <laughs> Let me rush in there and check. <laughs> so it was, it came you know, it sort of came like in a, in a, in a circle around back around to me, but it, it really told me that when she's having a difficulty, especially if it's something emotional, you know, that not only is my wife taking care of all of the, you know, the vaccination stuff and the, whether she's sick, but also just the, the mental health stuff, you know, making sure that she's okay. Um, much, I got to say much more so than, than probably me, but I, you know, being here alone with her, I'm, I, I'm, I really appreciate, gosh, she's juggling all that stuff because she's also got a job too. And being a mom at the same time. So, um, yeah, big props to, um, to the moms out there who are keeping us healthy, keeping the kids healthy. Yeah. Thank you for that. (laughs) It's appreciated. Yeah. It, there's something you said. On Mother's Day, too. I've got to write that down. And yeah, that's right. All of our moms, too, yeah. right? Yes. Um, there's something that you said, too, I think, around the mental health aspect. This book, I think, you know, brings to mind a lot of what children have been through in this past year and are continuing to go through. And we're coming up on having to make a decision whether to put our kids back in school or keep them home for another year. And we have to commit to an entire year. So I, I think about mental health a lot right now and, and how resilient children are. And obviously that's variable depending on how old. I mean, you've got a 12-year-old, which is much harder to be away from other children socially than eight-year-olds. Um, but just kind of wanted to get your thoughts around the topic of mental health for children and child wellness too. Oh, I'm my gosh. I mean, this book is for the mental health, I would say of a very young child. It's something that you would read. So as you just said, you know, a 12 year old or even your eight year olds are in a completely um, different place than, I mean, I think the point of the book was, and I, I noticed this, we were doing a reading actually with Grace Stugan of Project Hope, and she was doing some of the sound effects of some of the sick ships, you know, the ailing ships. And she was shivering and making sounds. And I thought, well, maybe that's something that you do with kids with this book is, is that you ask them to make the sound of how they're feeling. And maybe, you know, putting a name or putting a sound to the way that you feel is 
is something that little kids can do and can make little kids feel better. You know, I always felt like what you need to do when you're not feeling well is to talk to your illness, is to make friends with it and somehow communicate with it, uh, even though you're a little bit, you know, scared of what that means to Mm -hmm. really be honest with yourself about how you're feeling. But maybe that's maybe that's something that the book helps little kids do is talk to their sickness and imitate their sickness and make the sound and shiver, you know, however you're feeling, tell me how you're feeling, you're shivering, are you hot where, you know, or where does it hurt and all that? Yeah. Um, as far as the, the greater psychological, you know, fallout from this whole thing, I mean, who knows? Uh, but we'll get through it. We'll all get through it. This is, we can't go back. We just go forward. Right. Right. It's shaped generation. Yes. Actually, it was funny. One of my daughters said, mom, why are the, why are they, why are the ships sick? <laughs> you know, she was very concerned about why aren't they wearing masks is what she said. She said, why isn't this one wearing a mask? Um, everything's a question now. Everything's framed in the context of this pandemic. You know, so-and-so is not wearing a mask when you're at the, you know, driving through a park and you, you driving by a park and you see people staying, uh, standing together side by side. So it, it's interesting because I think it prompts conversations around setting expectations with kids. You know, maybe that person's vaccinated. Maybe that person's already had COVID to try to alleviate some of the fear and the anxieties that kids have just inherently built up over the past year. So that I think that was an opportunity that I saw when we and kids, they don't miss a trick. They see, you know, I notice when I do readings, I mean, they catch every single detail. In a, in a, <laughs> and that's why we spend all this time, you know, my editor, Neil Porter and I, we, we go over everything in the picture because we know that kids are reading all the details. And it's funny that you mentioned the mask because we, we, we had some masks in the book early on. And then the decision was made, well, we want this book to outlive COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we want this to be more universally themed. So maybe five years from now, when hopefully we're not thinking about COVID so much, this is about uh, other health crises. Um, and the mask is so, of course, strongly uh, associated with COVID. But yeah, um, all those funny connections that kids make, you know, the mask is is the one thing I'm you know, when you're when you're working on it, you get into these funny discussions like, should the passenger ship have a mask on it? You know, none of this makes any sense. None of this is logical. You're putting glasses on aircraft carriers. So um, you sort of have to suspend, you know, logic when you're creating a book like this. I have a question for you. You guys had mentioned earlier, um, you mentioned, Stephen, going down to the dock and seeing a boat. Yeah. And I seem to remember um, Sunita saying that the Project Hope ship was decommissioned in the 70s. Is there another ship? Yeah, there, there, there are other ships, uh, most notably the SS Comfort, which Project Hope had done a mission, I think back in 2018 or 2017, is one of the naval ships that Stephen was referencing that was sent up to New York last probably April, I guess, when, when at the, at the height of the COVID cases in New York city. So there's still, there are still two um, U S naval ships that are, I think fitted with a certain amount of hospital beds and hospital facilities on them as well. 
Yeah, there are two sister ships. There's the Comfort and then the Mercy. And the Mercy went to Los Angeles and the Comfort went to New York Harbor. So, yeah, when I, I mean, I had considered doing the book about the Comfort and I actually liked that name a lot. And the book was originally called And Then Came Comfort because we had that nice alliteration. And then, um, you know, I really loved the history of the hope. And also as a big typography fan, I loved the the words, but I loved the opportunity of connecting it to uh, a real story and a organization that was um, still doing all this amazing work in the world. So it made sense to um, the hope is a little bit smaller and a little bit more photogenic too. The Comfort is a big, I guess, I think it was a former oil tanker and didn't quite have the elegance of the ship. So all these decisions, you know, to, to but just the words hope, that was it. When I saw hope, you know, in the photographs, I said, that's it. That's the book right there. So, and everybody agreed. So Stephen, the book has some back content here. Yeah. That is amazing. Could you explain a little bit to us what all is included and how you envision a parent or an educator utilizing the back information. Um, Yeah. The afterward has a photograph of the ship and it says the headline is the real SS hope. And then it goes into a description of the history of the ship, which is really, really fascinating. And I, I thought that this would be great for whoever's reading the book, you know, that in a picture book, it's a parent or a teacher and educator to have this context just so that they saw that this wasn't another cutesy vehicle book, that this was actually a ship that was on a very important mission. And um, I really enjoyed doing the research because I found out all these cool things about the ship, like the iron cow was this giant uh, milk making uh, machine and it would produce milk and for kids it, it, um, in the different countries where it stopped and it had these milk cartons that had the word hope on it. And, um, but just imagining like how complex it is to send, you know, to run a hospital on land is one thing, but here you're having to run a hospital on a ship and then it's got to go all the way across the globe and you've got to be able to have quarters for the nurses and the doctors and, uh, and learning about, so there's mention of that. There's mention of sort of the inner workings of the ship and all the different places that it went to. It went to, I think, a half a dozen countries. And it was actually a refitted hospital ship, World War II hospital ship called the Constellation. And um, uh, President Eisenhower gave the uh, go-ahead to turn it into the first peacetime humanitarian hospital ship. And uh, just, I mean, really an amazing, in, in, the, in the history of medicine, kind of a huge, huge moment, huge watershed moment. And uh, yeah, and perhaps, you know, the thing that happens with picture books too is, is little kids go back and visit books. So maybe if you, they go back and form this connection to the book, they'll go back and read the afterward when they're in second or, second or third grade. So I noticed my daughter going back and revisiting books that have themes that maybe sort of went over her head a little bit when she was younger. Um, and she'll go back and she'll put the pieces together and say, oh, this was a real ship. And, you know, that's kind of the beauty of picture books is they, they have to speak to a wide audience. They speak to little kids, but then they're also speaking to parents or even kids that come back later to the book. So that was the point of the afterward. Yeah. 
And I just love the photograph too of the mm-hmm. ship. Um, it's docked in Philadelphia and there's a suspension bridge in it. And I put the suspension bridge in the book too. And uh, there are these little kids and looking at the ship and in admiration. And it's a terrific photograph. So, Well, I have to thank you both. This has been a wonderful conversation, actually. Um, and before we sign off, we always have our guests sign the guest book before they go. So before we take off and move on, would you like to sign the guest book for us? Sure. Where's my pen? <laughs> it's, a, it's an audio. It's an audio signature. <laughs> um, go ahead, Sunita. You know, I would say that we are really honored, Stephen, to be involved and, and that you reached out to us. Um, reading and illustrations take us all to new adventures and new places and teach us lessons in life. And certainly children and, and, you know, things that children can read are near and dear to my heart. So to have something that is about the mission that I'm, you know, involved in on a daily basis and the critical work we're doing tied to a book that I can share with my children is very special. uh, And we're really grateful for that. And we're grateful for the idea that we are all hanging our hats on hope. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. Um, Well, I want to say that I'm honored to be um, uh, partnering with you and that my book not only gets to go into your place of work, it gets to go into your home and you share it with your kids that it has a, that it's in your life in both of those ways. And I also just want to say that I hope that this is the beginning of uh, you know, um, a partnership that may last between us. I mean, I just completed and then came hope, but maybe we'll do something else together because I'm just in awe of what you do at Project Hope and the, all the amazing work that you do. And um, for an artist to feel like they're doing something other than just sitting at a table drawing pretty pictures, that they're really making a a, a, a contribution to the world is is really exciting. And I haven't had that before until this book. So I'm hoping that um, Stephen Savage and Project Hope will continue to be a team in some way in the future. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk. That'd be great. (laughs) We'll we'll look forward to that until then. And then came Hope. This is the picture book that is out now. Stephen, Sunita, we thank you very, very much for joining us. Be well. Thanks, Keith. Thank you.